You're listening once again to the Geopolitics and Empire podcast. And for this uh, episode, we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Rico Brouwer of the Podcast podcast in the Netherlands. Welcome, Rico. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. And, and welcome in my podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, um, so yeah, we both have podcasts. And we met recently a few weeks ago um, when he interviewed uh, Alfred Desayas, the former UN reporter who went to Venezuela. Uh, he did an interview with him and I listened to it. And because Alfred was my professor uh, in Geneva. And so subsequently I, I interviewed uh, Alfred and then Rico and I connected. We exchanged emails and we saw that we're doing very similar things, you know, in, in a different style. And we thought, you know, why don't we, why don't we work together? And, and why don't other people that are doing things such as we are, you know, work together? Um, and the, the one thing that I like that, that you put on your, on your podcast website, um, you have a quote that says, in a time where everyone may spread fake news and no one knows what's real anymore, podcast talks with everyone. And that's my motto yeah. on my podcast that says, I talk to people from left to right and I let them speak their piece. You know, we all have our own individual worldview, but I don't let that get in the way of what my guest has to say. So I, I don't know, maybe we can just, uh, you can comment on that. Yeah, I'll start there. No, well, um, when I, I'm so, I, I've been doing things with the Pirate Party in the Netherlands and in, uh, um, and I talked to everyone. And we, we agreed on that a couple of years back. But then there's also always people that, that are uncomfortable with you talking to more right-leaning or more left-leaning people or people outside your bubble or your comfort zone to the extent that people will try to limit you from talking to people. So I, to, I see that as, I consider that a weakness. I mean, talk to everyone, right? And then decide on, on the content of what they're delivering. So I took that, what I consider to be a weakness, like, like not talking to people and, and turn it around and say, well, let's just talk to anyone. Talk to everyone that has something useful to say. So let's talk to everyone. And also, everyone might spread fake news, which is a hot topic now. So if you want to eliminate fake news, you have to eliminate everyone. That's not going to work. So I'd rather talk to everyone and just come to my own conscious decision on what, what, uh, what, where, where most, most truth is. Really. Mm -hmm. Now, on, on, on the name, so it was a Dutch-chosen name, Potkaars. So I don't know if it's going to work with English-speaking people, but podcast is pot with candle. So that's what that is. It just sounds like a podcast, and that's what it is. And maybe you can tell us, before we get into um, some of the topics we wanted to touch on, where what's happening uh, uh, in Europe, as well as podcasting and media and alternative media and censoring, uh, but the first thing I wanted to, to learn more about uh, was, well, a little bit about yourself and then the Pirate Party. Uh, you know, I heard about them years ago. Uh, I, had, I hadn't been following them. So you can tell us about the, the work you did with, with the Pirate Party and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, okay. So that started with Rick Falkfinger. Uh, oh, gosh, I haven't d d done this talk for a while now. So from heart, I believe 2006 in Sweden, right around New Year's Eve, Old Year's Eve, uh, he was fed up with all the censoring and uh, the limits that you have in on freedom of information and information sharing. And he was depicted as being uh, a pirate. Uh, you're copying stuff, so that's bad. You're an evil pirate. And he went, oh, if, if that's bad, sharing of information is bad, I'll be a pirate and I'll start a pirate party then. So that's where that started. So there's no, at first there was no link with, with Pirate Bay and all the other stuff that you know the word pirate from. 
but the freedom of information, that's where that came from. Now, that went to the Netherlands also. I mean, it, it spread throughout Europe quite successful in the early days and also in the Netherlands. But we never got elected. It was very small. And I only got to know them in 2014. So for me, um, the, um, the, the, the financial crisis in 2008 made me go back to school and educate myself on that. And then what Edward Snowden disclosed and the subsequent non-response of my government here in the Netherlands to that, that made me become more activistic and, and do stuff. So I only started in 2014 and I found Pirate Party and I thought, well, that's what I feel exactly too. So um, that's my world vision, if you will, in, the, in their program. And the program is, well, that is freedom of information. Talk to everyone. It comes from uh, libertarianism and humanism. So um, no, reform, copyright, if you will. Uh, um, massive amounts go to healthcare, for instance. That's also because those, there's m many patents at play. So people are making money out of healthcare. If we, if we change that, that mechanism, uh, we can save money there and improve healthcare. So those would be some of the topics that Power Party uh, stand for. But you may know them best, or most people know them best, for privacy, your right to privacy, civil rights, and uh, as an ICT party, really, computer party, people that know IT stuff. So that, that would be my pitch of Pirate Party. And if you could tell us a little bit about um, more of the, the discontent, I mean, going back to those years uh, in Europe, uh, as well as now, um, you mentioned, for example, Snowden and the, the, the violation of privacy in the Constitution uh, in the U.S., and we heard about it in many other countries. And so, in particular, like in the Netherlands and as well as broad, more broadly speaking, Europe, what are some, some things that you're starting to see, um, as well as with the problems with the European Union, that you, uh, your friends and colleagues and acquaintances see are systemic problems uh, in, in Europe? Faith in government, trust in, in government and the, 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 the trust that they're doing it for the population, for, for, for the society. That's eroding away and ever, more, ever faster. That's the main problem. And so there's discontent. The most visible in Europe currently is, is the, the yellow vests thing going on in uh, uh, France, but it's spreading also outside of, of France. It started with the increasing of, of tax on, uh, on, on gasoline and petrol. But that was just, uh, that's where it started. could have been something else. But they had enough, enough of this taxation and enough of, of no, no uh, f faith in, in, a, in a sustainable future. That's when people get, got out of their house. So that's one of those things where... Um, when more people become aware and start doing, yeah, become more activistic. It is spreading. Um, and maybe these things are not related, but we are in a situation with Brexit where uh, people in the United Kingdom are not happy with being part of, of being up, uh, of the European Union. Um, and on a broader scale, you had Scotland. And now in, uh, in Spain with Catalonia, we have political prisoners or at least I see that in, in that respect. You have people that were elected are now in prison because they held a referendum. And that's all 
interconnected maybe with faith in government and the faith that your government is doing the st their work for you. So I've kind of lost that. So my, my idea was, well, if, if, the, if the power is in The Hague, that's, that's the, like uh, where, where the government in Holland is, if the power is in that city in The Hague, let's go to The Hague then and see if we can fix it from the inside. Mm -hmm. I decided to participate in, in Dutch elections in 2017. And how, how was that experience for you? Oh, that was that's a life-changing. Have you ever done politics yourself or no? No, I I made a conscious choice uh, to go back. Uh, it was too dirty for me, and I I just went back to uh, education and thought I'd rather try educating uh, the younger generation. Uh, to, no, to good for you. Sort of thing. <laughs> okay, so you missed well, in my perspective, anyway, you missed that experience, and it was it was a fantastic experience. So I've, I'm, I'm 48 now, and I've worked all my life in ICT. Uh, and I've worked pretty hard for bosses in those daytime jobs, nighttime as well. <laughs> but I've never worked harder than during those elections uh, in a campaign and as a, as a, as a candidate. Um, so, but it's a life-changing experience in, in the way that now I'm comfortable with sitting in front of a camera and talking to a guy from the other side of the world uh, who's, who's also interviewed Alfred Desaias. I could not imagine that before 2017, where I was just uh, taking in uh, uh, geopolitics and empire and all the other stuff that's out there, just educating myself. And here I am after these elections, making them myself. I'm a teacher. I've been working as an instructor in ICT for the last seven years. Uh, and um, well, I, I made a well, I, I, it's not an error or not a mistake, but I, 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 really, I figured if the power is, in, is there, the governmental power, and if you want to change things, it has to go through the power. Now, I, I want to be there and change the rules from there. It doesn't work that way. That's also, also something I, I, I learned. And I agree. We need to educate. So I'm, an, I'm a teacher. So I'm teaching. So I'm with you. Uh, and when you said it doesn't work that way, I mean, what were some of the biggest obstacles or, or problems trying to throw your... Uh, your hat into the political ring. Well, oh, there's a there's a there's a bunch. The, no, the the system in in the Netherlands and it would be probably the same everywhere is is has evolved. I wouldn't say designed, but but it, at least it's evolved into something that's not really friendly to newcomers. So if you're an unelected party, there's obstacles for you that do not exist for the for the existing parties. Like you have to post a, a, a deposit. And you have to get signatures all through the, through the country, and you're not in the um, in the electoral advice tools that are out there that people can fill in to get a recommendation. You're not even in there, so they don't know you exist. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's also all kinds of obstacles. You know, you don't get television. You you are not on mainstream media. You're not on the television. So all the old parties are night after night, and there you are with your great plan and your uh, ideals. And you have to buy commercial time if you want to get airplay but you don't have a budget so it's all those things mm -hmm. and then there's an internal organization as well i'm new to politics i'm no politician i still i will i, I am no politician i'm a teacher i'm an it person guitarist <laughs> journalist but i'm not a politician and all the people that want to participate in those elections aren't you're a new party so you're not savvy you're not knowledgeable you don't have an experience so you make all the beginner mistakes also and then you're disillusioned and you think, I'm going to go back to teaching. And then a new generation stands up and goes through all the rookie mistakes again. 
So that that those would be the, the major hurdles. Hey, well, you know, Donald Trump didn't have the political experience, and he, he succeeded. But <laughs> um, I, going back to your no, okay, that's, that's no, that, that's a cool anal analogy. But Donald Trump is like I don't know, seventy or something. He's he's, he's got way more experience than young people. Pirate Party is a, is a young people's party. Also, it's, it's, it comes from, but at least not to the age of uh, of uh, of Trump. And he has a kind of an unlimited budget, so that helps. But more than anything else, that guy knows marketing. He's into sales. And you need to be able to take yourself as a product and put that into the market. And that's something, if you want to change the world for the better, those people don't typically come with huge egos. Now, maybe tr Trump, as best of both worlds, he has that ego and, that, and, and all the rest of that. But we didn't have, have any of that. So... Um, yeah, and he's supposed to have had help with from the Russians, but that's the jury's still out on that. Mueller is supposed to report today or something or this week. Yeah, I mean, I, there's been no evidence of that. And Ray oh. McGovern, the former CIA uh, officer, I've I've interviewed him multiple times. His, his job was to brief seven presidents daily. Uh, he just posted yet uh, some days ago saying, you know, it was uh, it was a, the uh, the WikiLeaks. Uh, the information uh, came from insider from the dnc so um that's another topic but going back to europe i was curious you're talking about this discontent uh spain catalonia brexit the yellow vests which are spreading to sweden and, and holland now you're seeing uh, everywhere um we have this narrative in the media that's that's one narrative but it's different uh, what's on the ground in the reality and it's surprising how you don't hear stories really about the yellow vests. They're into their 16th week now, I think, of protests. And you just don't hear it on the news, really, at least like on the world news and where I'm from. I don't know about the European media. You can tell us. But I mean, what do the people on the ground believe versus the, the media narrative about all of these uh, European issues? Yeah. Um, so you talk to a guy from the Netherlands. And um, there is a kind of a yellow vest movement-ish, small thingy in the Netherlands, which is in, in no way has um, uh, the violence by, by, by the protests and the police at all. So, uh, so it's, it's just it's very small. And, uh, and also what we have in Holland. Is, so I, I've not been to those protests. So I've, I've not been on the ground there. But I do see the media here also and hear people talking about it. And it's depicted as extreme right, far right. Those are not the kind of people you want to be associated with. Now, I don't buy that. I think these are people that are, that, that are worried, just like you and me are. And that they are coming out of their house and say, enough is enough. We, need to change. we don't know how to change it, but it needs to change. I'll wear one of them yellow vests myself. That's, that's, I feel it's, it's that sentiment. But at the same time, people that buy into the uh, it's it's extreme right narrative we'll, we'll go fight the, the yellow vest and put on other color vests so now we have red vests and yellow vests and the green vest and whatever uh, even though if you start talking to each other you'll figure out it, it's it's you, you, yeah you're, you're fighting the same problem and you're fighting the same opponent um so, so in holland we don't get media coverage of what's happening in france either so you have to talk to the people that actually go there or know people who are there. And then you learn, yes, it's, it's like the 16th week, which is kind of an achievement week after week in winter also. 
I mean, it's not like, like nice uh, summer weather or, or anything. And all through France, apparently over 100,000 last Saturday uh, on the streets, where the official reports are way, way, way less than that. So from Holland, close to France, I don't know exactly what's going on. I know people have suffered very serious injuries and that there are fights every week after week and people still go to the streets. So uh, it's pretty much what I know about that. You know what the positive thing of the yellow vest is, as far as uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm observing this, is the moment Macron in France does something unpopular and it doesn't matter what he's going to do, but, but all eyes are on Macron. He cannot move. He can only do the, the good stuff. He will not get away with the bad stuff. So that's an achievement of the yellow vest right there. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and what else can you say uh, of, of the feeling in Europe? Because it, it seems that there's a systemic crisis uh, in the EU with the financial structure that it has. Uh, some people have, you know, Varoufakis, uh, Michael Hudson, uh, these great economic analysts have, you know, depicted, I mean, what the EU does, the, the periphery countries like, like Greece uh, and Italy and others, they, it's like a parasite, you know, they feed off of, off of those and that money channels into to the center, Germany and, and Brussels uh, for the European elites there. And it's not a sustainable system. And, and um, I mean, wh what are your thoughts in the long term, uh, given all of this whole situation, these protests now that are starting to bubble up, the economic crisis, the issue between, they're stuck between the Russia and the U.S., the energy, the gas pipelines. Um, do, you see, do you have a sense, sense in the air that things are just going to continue normally or things might get serious? Well, this is, I think this is the new normal. This is that we get all these, you're, you're making quite a list there. In just like 30 seconds, you've, got, you've pretty much, every big topic is in there. Um, but let's, let's, on finance then first. For me, a, a very small, just me as an individual in Holland with my, my daytime job in ICT, all of a sudden you have the 2008 crisis and had some savings sitting in Iceland with iSafe, which went bankrupt. I just purchased my house, which lost value due to, due to the housing crisis. And then Holland starts buying up a bank because it went bankrupt. So that woke me up and it changed my life. And I edu educated myself. I'm pretty sure that bankers Central bankers, Mario Draghi, and all the rest of them got the same wake-up call and decided to change their approach so to not have this again. And then they had to uh, figure out how to proceed with Greece. And uh, former finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, he, he's a professor. He knows exactly how to... Um, um, well, in his opinion, anyway, how to proceed to something sustainable. But he, he didn't get it. And uh, Tsipras at the time, well, they had the referendum, and Tsipras folded to the EU, and so far, I said, well, okay, so I, now I, I can't. And he stepped out and came up with DM25, Democracy in Europe Movement 25, which is not so much into money, uh, as far as I'm aware, but more into transparency of government which is totally in my area. So that's what I feel fixes most things. Just put a camera on those, on Juncker, on Tusk, on my prime minister, Rutte, uh, during meetings. And of, I'm pretty sure they'll behave better in my interest if, if it's transparent. Now, but they, in 2008, th those people learned a lesson as well. And what uh, in the 
past couple of years, we've moved our pension funds. Holland has the best pension funds in the world. We moved them to European Union to, uh, to be part of a bigger European Union scheme. So when something fails, they have a big buffer. Yeah, that's my pension that's in that buffer. Thank you. <laughs> and um, also, the, we have a deposit warranty system here. So if a bank fails, the other banks should uh, chip in to make good uh, the savers. And in Holland, that deposit system is up to uh, 100,000 euros. So if you have 100,000 euros, you're made good even though your bank goes bankrupt. Now they're moving that into a European Union deposit system. So when a Greeks, uh, Italian, Spanish bank fails, we're going to help them as well. Now, I don't personally believe that those banks are in a far worse position than Deutsche Bank or, or the Dutch banks. But um, what you do get with these controls or these extra buffers that they're implementing is that people are more annoyed. I mean, you feel like you have to save a bank in, in the periphery, where, like you just mentioned, but also that those banks will take more risks. They have a new, big, better deposit system. What could possibly go wrong? If I go bankrupt, I'm saved. You know? So it's, it's increasing the risk. So what the, the policymakers have done is implement more fail-safes, and what they managed to do is kick the can a little bit further down the road. I thought we would have been there with the next crisis already. thought it last year, thought it two years ago. Uh, it might be another one or two years. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to, uh, you made me think of two anecdotes. So me being here in Kazakhstan, uh, and in the town here, there's an Italian who's settled down. He's married a, a, a Kazakh, and he, you know he's from Italy, and I've, he's got um, a business here, and he, or he wor- he's working here. And um, he, I asked him, you know, how long are you going to be here? I'm just curious. I want to know because it's also interesting for me. Why I travel around the world, I decide to stay in countries for some years, and I, I'm curious as to why other people do so uh, as well. And I asked him, you know, how was it in Italy? Um, and he says he, he he couldn't he couldn't make it uh, in Italy. Kind of like what you were saying, a little bit of what you experienced in the Netherlands. He says in Italy he couldn't have his business and you know somehow he ended up here in Kazakhstan um, and that kind of testifies as to the problems in Europe the high cost of living the stagnant uh, wages and then I met just recently a Frenchman uh, who was working here and he's been traveling for over a decade around the world and he says he he's from uh, France he, he can't he won't go back he can't go back he says the living costs are too high and the salaries are, are low and it's not like it used to be. And so, I mean, those are firsthand uh, anecdotes, examples that I have from people on the other side of the world, Italy, France, Netherlands, and my, even myself, my other citizenship, Croatia. Croatia, things are bad. People are, 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 are leaving Croatia. And so you've got example after example. And so you work with the Pirate Party. You, you know, uh, I think it's great what you tried to do to get involved in, uh, in politics um, and then you started this, this podcast just a few months ago, uh, podcast podcast, and you, you do a very good quality. Your, your look is great. I think you, you do much better quality than me. I'm only a one man operation and I do it like in my spare time, but I think you, you do it really well. Uh, and so can you tell us about getting into podcasting and what what you're thinking going forward because for a lot of people out there by the way starting a podcast isn't like buying a pizza or something it's it's also very time consuming uh you don't get rich doing it uh you actually lose your own money i i, I have 
been paying for doing this podcasting. So I get offended when, you know, when I ask for donations and people say, oh, this guy's asking for money. I'm actually paying to bring people value. Like hundreds of thousands of people have, have listened to my interviews over time. So tell us a bit about your... Okay, so going back to those elections in 2017, that was frustrating. You, 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 you approach the Dutch market, if you will, the, the voters, the electorate with, your, with the best program you can, can come up with, and hardly anyone knows that you even exist after election day. You're still small, marginalized, in the margins. So, but to get things moving in a proper direction, you have to educate those people. So you have to make a campaign outside of campaign time. And um, there was a uh, frustration there that, that people didn't pick up on that. So I decided, well, I'm going to do that then. And I know how, don't know how to, but I will try to. And uh, I'm a musician, so I started writing songs. Easy, friendly, nice, childish almost songs talking about banking crisis, talking about all those real topics that you do your podcasts about. I thought I'm going to break it down to very simple words, have friendly, nice, happy songs, and started that. And then in the summer last year, summer 2018, uh, the Pirates in Utrecht, which is a city in Holland, they were inf got involved into the situation in Catalonia. I followed that referendum that they had, October 1st, 2017, where people that wanted to vote for independence in Catalonia, in Spain, were hit, were beat by police, and um, were after that put in jail, and have been in jail for 17 months now. Now there was a big demonstration on September 11th in um, in Barcelona, in Catalonia, and we were invited there as foreign observers. I figured, well, okay, let's go there. And they had the idea, together with them, we had the idea to make a podcast out of that, but nobody's ever podcasted. Now, I'm a musician, so I have a microphone, and I've, I've, I know how sound works. So we did an audio podcast, and uh, it was here in this, you can call it studio, you can call it living room. As soon as this conversation is done, it's a living room again. And um, that was fun, and I think that works. I think this is a way to get to the broad audience uh, without too much hassle. It's a lot of work to get it right, but, but it has a lot of potential. But the competition is fierce. I mean, people that have been doing this for a couple of years have their audio in order, have cameras, have light. I had nothing. I had a singing microphone. <laughs> so then Christmas comes around. I get the light as a, as a gift and then a, a secondary camera uh, and a new monitor. And then step by step, um, with not too much investment, you have your podcast studio. But you're right. It only costs you money. And uh, hosting your website and uh, and all the infrastructure stuff that you do you get get your audio files on soundcloud all things add up and no money comes in so i made myself a budget like i'm going to try this for a couple of years a couple of years and see what happens but i'm not in here for making money same with that music thing i want my country to be a fun country to live in for me and my kids and my wife you know and we're in europe so i well your european union has to improve as well uh, so that's the intrinsic motivation. Um, pretty sure there's no money, <laughs> no significant amounts of money to be made here. That's not why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. Um, it's 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 a passion. You you, you kind of do this. You know, the geopolitics and empire 
uh, podcast for people that don't know. I've never really spoken. Maybe I should, I'll do it on another uh, episode. Um, it began out of the classroom. I was nine years ago. I was teaching at the university in Mexico, and I thought, you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool to, you know, if I if I assign to my international relations students some Paul Craig Roberts to read or or, or other folks, um, and we I, I shoot them an email and see if they'll talk to my class you know the students read the material and then actually ask the author um you know question interrogate the author about whatever subject and i just experimented i shot emails and i got responses and you know once you know in each semester a couple times i'd skype with people and that old channel i called it dissident thinker uh it's still there people can uh, look at my early work, which wasn't the greatest. You know, as you said, the sound sometimes was really bad, and and my my interviewing wasn't as great. But um, you know, I, I switched it to, to geopolitics and empire. I started doing it on a weekly basis, and it's it's not for money. You get to speak to these people, and you get to share these conversations around the world, and you hope that people who are listening, um, you know, they they learn from this and they make better decisions for themselves uh, and for the people around them. Yeah, also, and that's that's the uh, egoistic, selfish, I don't know what the proper word for that, part of it that's there also. So I've been reading and watching podcasts for years, ever since 2008. Your show, Max Kaiser, all the other ones out there, uh, reading Zero Hedge, whatever they put on and, 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 and all that. Never did I think think of connecting to the people making those podcasts and now you get to talk to them and you get to talk you ask them i had no idea i would be talking to thomas drake in like my second podcast i hadn't the light wasn't there i didn't have the camera i had nothing here comes i managed to to, to ask directly questions to a guy like that and then alfred desires who was also involved in, in the in the situation in spain uh, uh volunteered to to be my guest how cool is that He's the, he's the only one in, in over 20 years that actually went to Venezuela for United Nations and do a first-hand report. And now, after talking to a guy like that, to see Esther de Lange, who is in the Christian party here in, um, um, in the Netherlands from, from the European Union, she makes a show flying to Venezuela and, and trying to get Guaido to accept the... the um, humanitarian aid delivered by the United States and that makes his show as far as I'm, I'm this is my interpretation although we were, we were sent back we weren't allowed in the country I can imagine Maduro sending you back if, if you just play with that um, game that the United States is putting on and I, uh, I only learned that from Alfred Desires you know so you're, you're way ahead of, 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 of how far I was when the Iraq war was breaking out or when Libya became a problem or Syria now you see things develop before they escalate, and that's that's uh, it helps you find ease or anything. You find to give to understand how the world around you turns or something. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and you mentioned also talking to to some of the content creators or, or podcasters, and so you know the two of us are content creators or podcasters, whatever you want to call us, journalists. And uh, I think this is. Cool, because you know I've had some interactions over the years with folks where I mean, for whatever reason, you you don't get along, or you, you think you'd you'd work 
with this other podcaster or website and then they start a fight or they insult you or for some stupid reason or made up reason uh it's happened to me a couple times uh or they just you know you never hear back from them and i think you know more should be working together you know i i'm i i'd love to interview other content creators you know i've thought about that and i'll try to do that in the future uh so we kind of link together affiliate uh and try to get a bigger noise out there i don't know and work together that for mutually beneficial ways to fight um the deep so this 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 is exactly the media uh interpretation of bottom up so we have that mainstream media sitting in in the hands of a very few big corporations doing all the media channels and all the newspapers and all the rest of that now what do you want to what can you put in, in place of that if you're not satisfied with, with what's broadcast on your daily t- television show? Well, do it yourself then. Well, that would be grassroots. That's you and me. We just start and just see how far we go. Well, there's hundreds of thousands of people doing this. All we need to do is just not be divided and figure out who's doing this also and, and create a mesh uh, out of that. And that, that's way more powerful. So everybody is a journalist. Everybody who wants to make sense of the world is a journalist in themselves. It's just like I was as of 2008. Now that the fact that there's a camera on doesn't change that at all. You know, I'm just trying to share whatever I discover. And I discovered your channel. So, it's just, so I read Nomi Prince, All the President Bankers. You're talking to her in, in Guadalajara even, or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was hilarious because I, I had picked up that book some years ago and just, you know, again, early on in my podcasting, I listened to her on some of my other favorite podcasts like Chris Martinson's Peak Prosperity um, and other ones that don't come to mind right now. And I thought, okay, hey, why don't I uh, shoot her an email? She agreed to do an uh, interview. And I was working at the Tech de Monterrey, which is like the MIT of Mexico, the top one of the top private uh, institutions there. And I get an uh, email from her saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be uh, visiting Guadalajara. Would you like to to meet?" And then I, I arranged for her to speak uh, at the campus there. Uh, and then that's when you know I, I I met her. We had lunch with some of the folks at the school. Uh, and that's when I recorded that quick interview with her uh, in person. I mean, that's the cool thing with do- doing these podcasts as well. You get to meet some of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I decided to try politics, naive as I was. <laughs> but I recommend anyone to, to, to do it. Try to run for, for office. It's, it's for, for, um, uh, for, your, for your own local government. And also in the European Union, lots of countries are participating. Pirates are not this time around. But for European Union elections, you can vote pirates and support them. It's, it's fun to do. Now, when I started doing that in 2016, one of the first uh, events that, that came up was uh, on um, uh, 911, 15 years after the 911 uh, uh, disaster or whatever you want to call it. And I was on a, on a uh, uh, roundtable debate with cameras on in a big hall in Utrecht with Annie Machon and William Engdahl which I didn't know who they were at the time. I just got started. And I'm looking through your list of podcasts. I've interviewed both of them. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So, yeah, that's, 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 that's very it's fun to be in direct contact and to get the content that those people have and the experience and the knowledge that those people have and, and be a conduit of that to, to, um, to whoever wants to pick up on it. And that's, that's all I want to be here. I want to educate myself and try to be a conduit of, of, of cool initiatives out there. 
And I think to f- fight that mentality I hear from, I think most people who don't want to get to a higher, use that energy uh, on a higher intellectual or, or whatever level. I know a lot of people are tired and, and they work a lot, um, but who say, yeah, I don't care. I just want to live my life on entertainment or some trivial things and don't come to realize uh, the effect that the people in power have uh, on our lives economically, like you mentioned in the housing crisis, you know, there's a bunch of people who lost their homes. Uh, and, and so I think the idea is to, f- to fight. It's not about, they say you'll never get rid of the evil people, but it's, it's, it, and set up some utopia. But the point is it's like fighting a, a wave. You want to have more good people than bad, uh, in power, and I think that's the point to push back against this this wave. You'll never have it perfect, but at least we can have a better functioning government with less corrupt people than than the things that we're seeing now. Yeah, well, I also discovered that that the people in in Dutch government aren't aren't per se corrupt, depending on your definition of that. But these are also people with a mortgage and, and, and they're career politicians, so they want to advance in their parties. So in, in their interpretation of, of things, they're trying to do the best, what's best for the country. Only I have a different opinion on what's best for the country. I want you to repre- represent the people voted for you and not represent the party or whoever is on your lobbying list or whatever. <laughs> so, but but uh, I don't think the world is divided in, in, in good or bad people. It's just... It depends on on your on, on whatever reference you have for yourself and information you have. Now, what I find on Twitter, if you start on a topic that's sensitive, like Catalonia and Venezuela, Venezuela is a nice example. So I'm I'm talking to Alfred Desires and I'm sharing that information on uh, on Twitter, and people start attacking me or Twitter attack. Um, that I don't feel for those poor Venezuelans that are in a humanitarian crisis, and that I don't that I don't understand the situation, and the United States is only doing what's right for Venezuela. Well, if you don't have that juxtaposition of Iraq and all the other countries where they use humanitarian aid as a weapon for public opinion, well, yeah, then we have a different view on things. But if you try to explain to people what's happening currently in, in Venezuela, then you're attacking their world their image of the world. And um, that's not comfortable. I'm changing their, I'm at, yeah, attacking their world vision. The same, just the other day, there's a totally different topic, but um, there's a new documentary made, apparently, about Bellingcat. Mm. The, 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 oh, my English is not all, my vocabulary is not all that good, but what's Bellingcat? It's like, Supposed to be just like you and me, like ordinary people becoming journalists and reporting. I don't buy that storyline. So they've been paid by Soros. They've been paid by Google. They've been, they're on the payroll of the Atlantic Council, which really is NATO. So that's Bellingcat also. And whenever they report, NATO likes that. So hmm, just, that, more of the same. Now there's a documentary out. And, uh, well, that's I haven't seen it, so I'm prejudiced, but that's probably a positive kind of thing. Well, I'm not positive on that. So I start commenting on, on Twitter saying, well, if, if you dig into Bellingcat, that's not really your best source of information. But if you feel that it is, and if you feel that, that your source with this Open Society Foundation is really a philanthropist, well, then I'm attacking your world vision. Yeah, that's 
that doesn't make me your best friend at the start. So how to approach that, how to get your message across and educate people that, that really don't want to be educated but are still on Twitter. That's 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 a hard that's a hard knock, hard nut to crack. And I guess one of the last things I wanted to talk about was just the media sphere, the media scape itself. Um, and I think it's one of the last battlefronts in a way because once things go dark, it's like no one could get the right information uh, anymore. The Swiss, there's a website called the Swiss Propaganda uh, Research, something like that. They put out reports uh, sporadically, but they put one out like today or yesterday where they discussed how basically you've got the Associated Press, the the French uh, AFP, um, and Reuters, just a few agencies uh, from which all the other agencies get their get their news. Um, so you have like an establishment version of, of news, and then you've got the alternatives, um, and slowly you're seeing this attack on the alternative narratives. Like you mentioned, Bellingcat, he's got the blessing of NATO at Atlantic Council, so he can do no wrong, he's funded. Meanwhile, other um, organizations are being blocked on Facebook, blocked on Twitter, um, they don't have the funding to compete, and, and, and so on. And so, you know, my, my worry is that in the near future, it'll turn truly um, or, Orwellian, uh, and as well as the propaganda they put on the, our, our friends and family. Um, it's really hard to undo that sometimes, these, these narratives that they have about Syria and Iraq and Venezuela and, and Libya and er everywhere. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this battle, this information propaganda war that's happening right now. So one thing is massively positive currently. When our, the Iraq war started, I totally bought into that. I was watching CNN and I was totally with the American narrative and my country supporting that. And not a doubt in my mind that we did the right thing there. So I've changed. So before the United States invades Venezuela, I see them weaponizing human aid, and I see members of the European, Par uh, uh, European Parliament, like Esther Lange, I see them performing this charade. So that's changed. So it is working. So the not mainstream media is having a massive effect on me. I'm just an IT guy that woke up in 2008 and started to do some research himself. So that's a positive thing. Um, but you're right. I only recently learned in an interview that I did that the Dutch press agency, ANP, Algemeen Nederlands Persbureau, is commercially owned. I didn't know. I thought that was just utility, <laughs> naive as I am. So it's, that's commercially owned. And um, you don't get your content on national television. So my content is not showing on TV. And then you have the new European law that's, that's currently being debated, the Article 11 and Article 13 which is basically a, a change in the way you can hyperlink to each other. And unless you have contracts in, you're not supposed to hyperlink. So that's a direct attack on people like you and me collaborating. So you have to reinvent the internet in a new layer to, to circumvent that, really. So I, I see that also as an attack on freedom of information. And um, yeah, that, that there's not real defending against that if, if you're, even your European Parliament is in on it. So I, I always was pro-EU. I thought that was a good way. And just like I was used to be pro-NATO, uh, I figured th those were nice means of preventing the next war. 
Well, I'm a bit more, I don't know anymore. So I'm off the NATO thing. That's, that's gone. I, I don't feel comfortable there. The European Union, I don't know. It's not helping me. I'm, I, I see what they do in Catalonia and Spain, and they're not doing their job properly. And I see how they're imposing now link tax and other censorship mechanisms. That's not right. So if that's the European Union, well, might as well quit then. <laughs> this is not going to work. Yeah, and speaking on NATO, another anecdote, personal anecdote, exactly 10, a decade ago when I was doing my graduate studies in Geneva in Switzerland at the Geneva School of Diplomacy, NATO was having a, a summit somewhere in, in Germany in a small village, um, and a bunch of people were going to go protest. You know, the world leaders were going to be there, um, some of them, I think, and a bunch of people from around Europe uh, as well as the world were going to go and and protest uh, NATO for some of the bad things that they were doing. And you would think a democratic society, we can do this sort of thing peacefully. Uh, and my, some of my friends and I were planning to, you know, take a train into Germany and just, you know, see what's going on, peacefully join, you know, the protests. And, and you, you can find this on the news probably that what NATO and Europe decided to do was shut the village down for three days. So the people living in the village could not leave uh, and no one could come in for the duration of the summit. So again, I mean, you see all these red flags uh, everywhere for this type of uh, anti-democratic uh, behavior, as well as what you've mentioned with Article 13, uh, which, you know, I, I don't know how we'll continue on in the future if that gets uh, put into play. Are, are there any final thoughts, any other topic you, you, you wanted to, to talk about or final thought to leave us with? No, but I really do want to pick up on this on a, we should talk more often. Um, and and f and spread this kind of collaborating with each other, create that mesh of uh, of people who sh share information and find information, and uh, and uh, that's that's <laughs> so that is so much more powerful than whatever mainstream media you have, even without the budgets. So let's let's do that. Let's start here. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have uh, you on as a recurring guest, reporting from from. Uh, Europe, uh, and can you tell us about how people can find you, Twitter, your website? Well, yeah, use links, but but yeah, maybe the name is a bit off. But it's Potkaars, P-O-T, as in pot, not as in the stuff you can smoke, but as in what you put your candle in. And Kaars is candle, K-A-A-R-S, so potkaars.nl. Best of luck.